Look at John 3. Uh, I'm just kind of resting on John 3 before we move to the rest of the book in our studies in John. And um, let me just take verses 1 through 8 and uh, begin a journey. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter, just to give you some other passages. To con- this will be touching them briefly. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Well, how can I ever do that? People are hard to love. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now turn, if you will, to 1 John, same writer of the gospel, writes the three epistles of John. In verse 12, whoever has the Son has life, has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things, I take it to be the epistle of 1 John, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why he wrote the book. Now, let's look at one other verse. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. That's interesting. Examine yourselves to see if you're really in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? And we're going to take a test today to see if you are really in the faith. Uh, I find myself fishing a lot in the uh, church aquarium today because uh, not out in the ocean, just the aquarium where the fish gather, you. Because uh, the new birth uh, has fallen into such times 
as you'll hear people say, um, uh, well, they're saved, uh, they just don't go to church. Uh, they're saved, uh, they just haven't broken with sin. They're, they're still an addict. Uh, they're still of this. They're still of that. And uh, pray for them. Uh, and if you grew up in circles that I grew up in, uh, you got saved, but you were still powerless. You get saved, but you remain defeated. You get saved, and uh, you need some second work of grace because the new birth leaves you wanting in power. It, 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 it gets you started, but uh, there's no power. There's no change. Uh, it's, uh, I, I raised my hand at a youth group meeting, or I raised my hand at church, and someone pled to me to come forward, and I did. But uh, they've never been baptized. They don't attend. Uh, they don't know the word. And we're all the time saying we're born again America. And I ask, is this the biblical concept of being born again? Is, is this what the new birth is all about? And uh, I think we looked last week on what is saving faith. And James said it has to be a faith that works, not just right belief. But there's three ways we need to measure Christian experience. And it's interesting, the different circles, how we do it. Uh, if you grew up around the reform camp and the cerebral camp, uh, the theologian camp, everything is right belief. Believe right. Believe right. Right. Boy, what do you believe about doctrine? And then you come over in the middle and you have, we, we blame it on the Methodists and the Pentecostals, but Ed, Ed, Jonathan Edwards was in this camp. Uh, George Whitfield was in this camp. Jesus was in this camp. That being saved is not just right believing, it's right affections. And Jonathan Edwards used the word affections to refer to the bent of the will and the experiences of knowing God. And that right feelings, right emotions, and I give you a list here on the other side, pivoting off of Edwards, that uh, God commands his people to love Christ. Do you love Christ? Is that a doctrine, or is that an emotion, or is that an effect? Uh, he tells you to have joy unspeakable. Well, I don't have joy in my Christianity, but by George, I'm saved, and you can't talk me out of it. Where is the joy? And, and Ed, Edwards wrote his book. His key verse was 1 Peter 1.8. His joy unspeakable and full of glory. That, that was the key. Because here he was, the intellectual of the great awakening in America. And because there was so much fanaticism and swooning like in Methodist meetings, they wrote off the whole awakening as just a big emotional hysteria. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. There was excesses. There were abuses, as it were. But then he wrote his book, let me tell you, right belief about God without ever having the inner core of your emotions and your affections moved by God so that you come to love God. You love to have joy in God. You have peace in God, zeal for God. If you don't have the affections, you just have an intellectual faith. And you see the... The, the, the doctrine crowd, doesn't even, they get nervous over here. They, ooh, 
I don't, I'm not into feelings. Maybe you're not saved. I don't need you to tell me what an orange tastes like. I've already tasted. The only way you can know what an orange tastes like, you've got to eat one. And Jonathan Edwards defended the awakening by saying, it affects the core of your, you're affected by meeting God. You don't just go on, well, I've never been changed, but I'm born again. What do you mean? You haven't met, you mean, God invaded your life, brought in his divine nature, and it never has affected you? No, no, not possible. And so I think there's another category, right practice, right practice. So when a person says, I've been born again, it would be, I have believed in the right object for my faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has, uh, the love of God has been just brought in my heart, and I've got, uh, as the old Scottish woman said, it's better felt than telt. I've got such deep emotions about God. He moves me so deep in the core of my being that I sometimes cannot express it intellectually. I've experienced the new birth. And then over here, it's affected my practice. So all three things go together. Believing in the right object, the Lord Jesus Christ, experiencing the divine work of the Spirit in the heart that brings the, uh, well, the feast of wonderful emotions. You see, some people, the only emotions they've ever had is anger. All their emotional life has been negative. Once you come to Christ, you start having positive emotions. You start having positive feelings. Um, it's Valentine's Month. Uh, some of you think Christianity is mere duty. Do your duty. Well, the law told them to do their duty. And when it comes around to the 14th, I can do this. Uh, Carolyn, um, here's a dozen red roses. I hope you're glad. And then, then I can reach into my little day timer and check that off. Got that done. Would that affect the deed? Would she be just thrilled? Well, you did the deed. You gave her the flowers. And some of your Christianity, which is really a false Christianity, is you do the deed, you drop in an offering, you may show up, but you stay miserable, you stay bitter, you don't have any joy. I'm afraid you don't know him. Well, you said you don't know my personality type. There's only so many kinds of human personality. The new birth is the same. It doesn't matter how you build. Introvert, extrovert, German or Italian. He saves people. And he changes them. Don't, don't get off of it that way. So uh, we're going to just I give a little comparison of what people, I don't want to stay here too long, uh, but look at number two. The biblical view of being born again is recreating a, the core of my nature and disposition, a person that renews my heart, and I start going in the Godward direction. Today, people talk about the new birth. It comes in, but it does not fundamentally change my personality or the way I'm headed. Uh, well, we're just praying they'll get dedicated. No, get saved. 
Uh, well, they never were discipled. Oh, that's a common one. Well, they've not really grown. They've been out there. No one discipled them. No one followed up on them. You know what? If Jesus would have come to a person like that and says, you no longer follow me, he would have never said, why, you mean you never took a navigator discipleship class? He'd say, where's your loyalty for me? Why don't you follow me? You don't follow me because you don't know me. And so what did they do? Wesleyan holiness groups, you know what they invented? They invented, you need a second work of grace. You need, they were taught, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or uh, you need to dedicate your life. And it became kind of a two-stage Christianity. This leaves you touched but not changed. Over here's where the power is. Over here's where it really happens. No, 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 no. The real new birth changes radically your disposition and gives you a new appetite and a new direction and a new desire that you never had. It does not leave you unchanged. The new birth, the new birth does not leave you unchanged. Well, why are there so many cranky churchmen? Well, you can be cranky and name the name of Christ. Why are there so many joyless Christians? Why are there so many angry Christians? I'm amazed at how many angry, and they just say, well, I'm not really in sin, but I've just been angry for years. That's not sin? What is that? You've not let the sun go down. You've got many moons that have gone down on your anger. No, no, no. He, he, he gets rid of the anger. I've met people in the church. You cannot believe the things that have happened to them and they keep going. They've got a joy that, that you can't describe. I know other folks, one little, one little thing trips them up. They're always ticked about something. You know why? It might be an absence of the, the peacemaker in the heart. That life is too short. I've got a peace in Jesus I didn't get from the church. I got it from Christ. There'll always be something to be ticked about. If you let it. Well, let's take a journey here. I want you to read all this other uh, to just say that I'm not ter- totally heretical in where I'm going. Uh, let's take a test that John said. I gave certain criteria in my book to help you know that you're saved. And watch what it says. Let's go to 1 John and take the test. Are you ever on page 5? Have a pen because you may go to heaven or hell based on whether you pass this test. Don't want to put you under pressure, but uh, I would really follow this test. Uh, First question, a born-again person has no sin within. Those are our biggest sinners. Uh, Kind of be quiet on your answers. Kevin, don't coach them. Uh, 1-8, if we say... We have no sin. We deceive ourselves, not our wife. And the truth is not in us. Uh, so say, I want you to say this. You heard it first at church. Christian sin. Kind of hold on. I'll just say the Christians like you sin. You heard it first in church. You don't need the job people to say, well, you Christians are all hypocrites. No, no, no. We sin boldly. We just get forgiveness. Who said we didn't sin? God never said we didn't sin. Right? 
Is this your life's verse? Hallelujah, I sin. No, he's not saying that. But he doesn't want us to be deceived. Christians still sin. Now, we hope they don't do certain sins. Rob banks. And a lot of biggies that he just puts behind. But we still deal with indwelling sin, and we have to be on our toes about it. But see, sin remains in the believer. But hear this now. But it does not reign over us. Romans 6 says, we are not under the dominion of sin. It remains in me, but it does not reign over me. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Romans 6 is clear about that. So it remains in me, but it's not like a king ruling over me. So uh, we can know that. Uh, Two, let's take your test, and you just fill this out. Be real quiet. Say, a born-again person will deny they sin. They only make mistakes. Two, hide their sin, especially if you're the pastor. You got to look good. Uh, confess their sin. Okay, how many say deny their sin? What about hide their sin? How many say confess it? Whew, good you passed on that. Good. There's a big difference in saying I don't sin versus I confess it. Do you ever ask anyone to forgive you? Do you have problem forgiving people? How could you not be expected to forgive people that can still sin? We, and, and what we do, I love what 1 John says. The word confess simply means to name it what it is, and it's painful. You've heard me tell the story that Carolyn heard me one time uh, teach on this. And so the next time we had a spat and uh, was going on about something, uh, well, I, I knew I was wrong. And so all of a sudden I said, well, uh, Carolyn, I'm sorry. And she said, for what? You heard me. I said, I'm sorry. That's enough. <laughs> for what? Name it. You mean claim it? No, I said name it. What was, didn't you just say, when you confess sin, you name it? Well, when you ask for my forgiveness, I want you to name how you were a jerk. Honey, where's the grace? <laughs> name it. Honey, I was wrong when I did that. Or name it. That's painful, especially when it's a fallible human being like a wife. But you know what? We do this. Did you ever hear that song at the end of the day? Lord, if I've committed any sin today, forgive. Uh-uh. Didn't work that way. You always know when you sin. Sin is a rebellious act. And it's not like, well, I might have done something wrong. Oh, you don't. No, from the moment you commit that sin and you don't deal with it, the Spirit of God begins grieving. Grieving. You know it. It's not like, well, I never know when I sin. Yes, you do. And those who know God, his children, the Spirit works on them, so they name it to God the Father. God, I just lied. God, I just had a bad thought. I had a bad attitude. Whatever it is, you name it, and God is faithful and righteous. It's beautiful here. He didn't say faithful and gracious. 
He said, faithful and righteous. God is righteous to forgive you because it's already been dealt with at the cross. And he's just extending the benefit of Christ's death to you about that sin. But Christian people confess they're wrong, not only to God, they're willing to ask forgiveness of wife, husband, fellow believer, instead of just storing up the resentments, carrying it around. No, 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 no. Born again, people can sin and do sin, but they confess it. They confess it. It's, uh, uh, I, I don't know, I just meet many people. It would kill them to ever say they were wrong. I could never make it if I couldn't confess it. I start out feeling I'm wrong. I'm a sinner to start with. The miracle is I do anything right, hmm? that God does anything good through you. And, but I see stubbornness in believers, just mm-mm, mm-mm. And more churches have been split over stubbornness than adultery. Nobody admits they're stubborn and won't change, won't bend. Now, matter of fact, I just soon get a divorce as to ever ask your forgiveness. The rebellion, that's the sign of an unregenerate heart. Because once you've been regenerated by the Spirit of God, he gives you a heart of flesh, takes away the heart of stone, giving up that stubbornness that you can't admit it. And you know, the the only way uh, I've been able to make it in my marriage is to admit, and I've been about wrong about 90% of the time. It's terrible when you marry a saintly woman. She knows God better than me. And you know how I know that? It's in her spirit and in her behavior. I'm this South Richmond boy that wants to win every argument, and I'll show you I'm right. And the Spirit of God just grabbed me and said, oh, you little, <laughs> who do you think you are? You go in there and apologize to that gift from God God gave you in this precious woman. I'd rather have her than to hold on to my stubbornness. I'd rather have fellowship with one another than to hold on to that stuff. Believers do not always keep it together, but boy, as soon as you just raise up your hand and say, I surrender, I was wrong, hallelujah. God won't beat you up, he'll forgive you. And you can go on. Then you have another argument later. (laughs) But you'll be right back. It has a way of breaking you when you're accountable for what you do. Makes you accountable. Well, third question, when a born-again person sins, uh, they lose their salvation. Uh, They have to be born again, again, is what I really said. So you gotta get saved again, again, because the first one you lost, so you need another one. Uh, Why get a second one if you can lose the first one? But okay, Uh, Christ's death for the believer keeps them saved since he paid for it. And look at what he says, 2-1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not even sin once. I don't want you to sin at all. But if anyone does sin, and I just told you Christians do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation or the satisfactory payment is the idea for our sins but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, notice what he goes on. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth. So he's going right on telling us that we are people who obey God as a whole, but when we don't and we sin, it's where that aspect of the cross work of Christ that says, Father, I've satisfied your wrath against them once for all, and I now plead my work on behalf of them, and you stay saved. Uh, that was the hard one uh, for me to accept. I used to think he was for me until I sinned. But when I sinned, I either lost salvation or Christ moved out. I, I, I had all these, you know, the famous stories, what if you sin on the way home from church or be lost? All the, just what a way to tell a young person, come to Christ and you'll be saved until you sin. I never wanted to get saved. I knew I didn't have a chance. How about saying, come to Christ, and you'll never be able to sin again and enjoy it, and you'll be assured that Christ died for your sin, and the Spirit will bring you to say, I'm sorry I sinned against you. Please forgive me. That's a lot different than saying you start probation, but if you ever blow it, if you ever... So we create hypocrites. We create people that all answer altar calls, leave the church and never come back because they sinned in the meantime. No, 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 no. When we sin, while I'm in the act of the sin, my Savior acts as my satisfactory payment for anything I've ever done wrong, even as a Christian when I'm in the midst of it. How is it God could forgive me so much up to the time I'm saved, and for the least infraction after I'm saved, I lose it? No, 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 no. See, you got to be assured he's paid for what you're liable to do. He'll, he paid for what, you know, you got saved back here. You sinned here. Do we have to get him back on the cross? No, he said one death covers the whole journey. And, and then the question comes up. Well, if you got that kind of coverage, let's sin all we can. God forbid. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. It's not in the heart of people to want to sin more against the God that loves them so much to put his son on the cross. See, sin breaks your heart as a believer because you know you're sinning against the Savior. That's the heartbreak. You know you had a right to push the guy off the road into the ditch. You, you, know, you know you had that right. Mine, you left a gospel track. What more does he want? You know, but you, you can feel justified in these different things. But it's when you know against thee and thee only have I sinned. That's what broke David's heart. My sin was more than just against Bathsheba. I sinned against my God. That's the heartbreak. Well, a born-again person practices, verse 29, if you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has dedicated their life, has got filled with the Holy Ghost. Wait, wait, you mean just being born again makes you want to practice righteousness? Well, I, I got saved, but I still cuss. I got saved, I'm still sleeping with a woman I'm not married to. I got saved, but I'm still hooked on drugs. I got saved. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Being saved, he told the Corinthians, you used to be fornicators. You used to be homosexual. You used to be thieves. You, you, but you've been washed. You've been renewed. You've been set apart. 
You've been changed by a one-step program called the new birth. The new birth. Not 12 step, one step. Christ. And, and I meet people who say, well, have you ever whipped the habit? Uh, wait, 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 wait. Why would God save you to leave you powerless to change? I thought God does a work in us that changes us. Have you ever heard people say, I came to Christ and never had another drink from that day forward. I came to Christ, I never used a needle another time. I came to Christ, I never hated, I never hated black people again. I came to Christ, and I, I never beat up my wife again. I asked my dad, how did you know if people got saved when you grew up? Especially if there were men. It was all women in the hills. Not very many men got saved. I said, well, how could you tell if a man got saved? He said, it was easy. Their wives healed up, and their children started being fed because they stayed drunk all the time, and they played cards, and they cattle rustled. But he said, we knew when they got saved, their wife was fit to go out in public because she wasn't all bruised and beat up. And these kids began to have milk instead of liquor, and they got a daddy back that they never had. said, well, we know when they were saved. It's called life transformation. And I don't believe that Christ died for American Christianity. He died for biblical Christianity, the kind that changes you inside out. This is biblical Christianity. It's like in our country, we debate, is, does Jesus, is he Lord or just Savior? Oh, friend, go say that in the two-thirds world. As soon as they get saved, they're put out of their family. Or be a Jewish convert. You lose your job, you're put out of your family. You disown most rose when he came to Christ. His father put him out of the family will, put him out of his inheritance just because he claimed Yeshua was Messiah. When he got baptized, and we baptized in the two-thirds world in bathtubs so the Muslims won't kill the new converts. There is no such thing as a Christianity without a Lord. Jesus is Lord. We don't make him anything. We're always in the process of a bowing to it. There's no two-step. It's one. You come to Christ, and he'll change your internal disposition to follow Christ. Follow Christ because you fall in love with Christ. I should be starting a revival. Some churches, they get saved over this stuff. Um, look at chapter 3. A born-again person stops practicing going to church. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Verse 6. No one who abides in him, and John uses, uses abiding as an interchange for believing much of the time. No one who abides or believes in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices, and I'm reading ESV, see that practices, the word you want to get. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And we would say this, 
for he has dedicated his life, got filled with the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. For God's seed, and it, that word seed is often an equivalent for God's nature. And Peter says we have become partakers of the divine nature. Did not Peter say that? We don't become God's but we became a partaker of God's life. And God's DNA is transferred to his kids. His DNA. So we should not have this, well, there's five kinds of Christians out there. There's only one kind. Those who really know him. And you know, you will love all kinds of Christians with different labels. It won't matter. Because it's the spirit of Christ that makes you one. It's the spirit of God that makes you kin, folks. And he said, uh, you cannot continue to practice that. John already said Christians do sin. Did he not say that? But the emphasis here is practice, way of life, that uh, my way of life is I do this sin. I'm known. Let's say if we were to bury you and we were to be put down on your epitaph, what you're known for, what would it be? For anger, for cussing, for stealing, for whatever, or would it be for loving God? for joy, for peace in the Lord, loving the brethren. What, what are those dominant characteristics in your life that we'll remember you by? And so he's saying to be born of God ends your practice with sin while admitting we still sin, but the practices. It's the exception, not the pattern of our lives. Doesn't everybody remember David did that terrible sin? How many times did he do that? Now, the murder, you don't want to do that too many times. But when you're the king of a nation, you can take life at whim if you wanted. He wasn't just an ordinary citizen. He was wrong, but he had the power of life and death. But, and we keep saying, David, that adulterer, David, that. God never calls him an adulterer. He calls him a man after God's own heart who committed adultery. There's a difference in committing it and being one. It's a big difference. Measure a man by the pattern of his life, not by the exceptions. Well, um, a born-again person, are you passing so far? Good night, I'm giving you the verses, you better pass. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us tolerate each other. Oh, love. And love is you get all gooey and get goosebumps? Or is it the kind of love that God gave his son, sacrificial love for the object you love? Let's just try to say, you folks who can't stand a goosebump because that's too, you know, that's too, that's just not cerebral enough for you. Uh, just, just be willing to sacrifice for the person you say you love. I don't care if you get all teary-eyed. Who do you love that you would sacrifice maybe stoop to wash their feet, would feed them, clothe them. You would do the concrete act to show them. Don't worry about all the emotional side of it. Just you would do the deed. You'd do the, God so loved that he gave. He, his love moved him to action. Now, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Are you a people lover yet? Do you love God's people? And uh, it's amazing how many so-called Christians are always down on Christians. Um, and, uh, and probably because they're not saved. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And he just keeps going on that uh, when you know God, he, he just, he guesses abroad his love in, in your, your heart. And you all of a sudden uh, come to love people that you could not even imagine being thrown together with of all kinds of social strata, ethnicities, uh, various backgrounds. Uh, wow, I was just with Carolyn's people uh, in Fresno this past weekend for a family graduation, and boy, when I think of um, the backgrounds represented and uh, the places they'd been, where they came from, thought of my own people, how poor we were, coming into this state out of a depression. Uh, just common people, just so common, as common as an old dish rag. I thought, wow, how did God ever get us in the body of Christ? I mean, not educated, uh, not impressive. Why in the world would God want us in his family album? It, it's, but then once you get in the family, he makes you love everybody in the family. I, um, my mother's people were fighting Irishmen. My grandfather, Meek, was a coal miner in Pitcher, Oklahoma. My dad met my mother because he bought a Victrola record player in 19, about 25. And my dad loved music, so he went over there to hear a recorded album, 1925. Well, he met this Irish daughter, my mother. And, uh, but they were, most of them for most of their lives were not really believers. And we would go to Southern Cal to see my mother's people. And what they basically did is went through about five packs of cigarettes every four hours. Uh, you need the ventilator to get through there. Drank coffee and cuss the Republicans. I mean, they were fighting Irish, blue collar, uh, poor boy people, and they'd do this. We'd go down there, and of course, my mother was the oldest of the 10 brothers and sisters, and so we'd be playing with cousins and all that. Every Sunday morning, my dad would always come up missing. Always, always. About 2 o'clock, our dad, we always knew when he was coming back because he whistled or he sang. He whistled his way through life. And so he's coming back, and us kids were, Daddy, Daddy, where you been? He said, it doesn't matter where I am on Sunday. I'm going to look up some of God's people because I'm a born-again man. I don't care how small the crowd is. I don't care if it's a storefront. He was a free hole in this guy, small Pentecostal. Because there's something in him. I don't want to cuss the Republicans. I don't want to drink coffee. I don't want to smoke. I want to celebrate the God that saved me. I want to be with his people. When you're born again, you love his people. And why the greatest, one of the greatest tragedies that happens on the earth 
is when the saints of God get to fighting with each other. It's when the saints get crossways. God will see to it that visitors quit coming. If you want a country boy saying that my dad said, he said, you never had doves stay in a tree where coon dogs were fighting underneath. That's country boy. He said the doves would always fly off. He said, if you saints want to fight, God will see to it that the dove of his presence just flies away. He'll let you just devour yourself. Galatians said, I'll let you devour yourself. You'll lose his sense of his peace because Jesus is, is peace and love, and God didn't save us to fight with the saints. The devil already hates us. He doesn't need any help. He makes you love, folks. Are you loving any of the saints? Do they know you love them? Work at it. It's just a part of the DNA. You can't help it. And then, let's see here. Uh, a born-again person believes, look at 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And back in chapter 4, everyone who believes that Christ came in the flesh, verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, confess Jesus is not from God. Uh, you know in verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Uh, we confess he really did come, and he really is who he said he was. He's the Son of God. There's the doctrinal part. There's the right belief. But to see love, that's not necessarily the right belief. It's just the right attitude towards fellow believers. Uh, practicing or not practicing sin, that's behavior. Practicing righteousness, that's behavior. Are you born again? How do we know? We're measuring you in three areas. Do you believe the right thing about Christ? Do you have the right affections towards Christ and his people? And how are you behaving? And if you can't get it together, you know why? You've never had his life in you because he changes us from the rebels we are to becoming people that turn into lovers. We become lovers. We're easy to hurt. We're easy to persecute. You know why? We're not out to fight. We're not out to hurt people. We're here in this community to do every man, woman, boy, and girl that will let us. We're here to do you good. We're here to do you good. We have no evil intent against any human being because Christ turns you into lovers of people, starting with his own people. The light that shines furthest always shines brightest at home. Don't worry about reaching Ethiopia if you can't love people right here. It starts right where we are. What a great God we serve. 